Amen. I uh, want to do something this morning. I'm going to uh, <clears throat> well, I'm going to preach in a manner. Hopefully today, I'm going to try to anyway in a manner that uh, you know uh, that I haven't done here before. So. Whenever, you know, this morning, I want us to think through this, and, you know, we have, you know, that your prayers, our prayers, have power, um, but we struggle with that. I heard this story this week. And this gentleman, uh, you know, was talking about how, uh, you know, Saturday he got up and, uh, you know, he was going to go and get the oil changed in the truck for his wife. Uh, and he realizes and he knows that his wife's, wife's love language is, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, charity, uh, you know, and just, you know, kind of just doing extra things. So he says, oh, he goes, I'm going to get the tires rotated on the truck whenever I get the oil changed. So he takes it in and, uh, you know, get the oil changed and he, uh, you know, pays to get the tires rotated. And, uh, you know, he was all excited. He did something extra for his wife. So he sent her a text and told her that, uh, you know, that he had gotten the oil changed and he got the tires rotated and saved 15% in the process. She texts him back and she goes, oh, please tell me you didn't get the tires rotated. He said, oh, yes, I got the tires rotated. She goes, I thought I told you that I got the tires rotated yesterday. He texts back, oops. And she goes, please tell me you didn't pay to have the tires rotated. He said, yes, I thought you would be really pleased. Her response, that's terrible. She goes, I told you that I had the tires rotated. Now, you know, he then pauses and he looks at it, you know, look at him and he goes, you know, he goes, I, you know, I knew that she said something about the tires being rotated, but, uh, you know, I thought she meant they needed to be rotated, not that they were rotated. And that kind of goes along with the thing that I heard, uh, you know, some other guy said that his wife walked up to him one day and she said, you didn't hear a word that I said, did you? And he goes, that's an awful weird way to start a conversation. I see the smiles and the chuckles. We've all done it, right? Uh, you know, how many of you watch Charlie Brown, you know, and the teacher, you know, all you ever hear from the teacher is wah, 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 right? Uh, you know, 90% of the time, uh, you know, somebody comes up to us and we hear part of it and then we hear wah, 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 right? Uh, you know, I was in car business, uh, you know, for nine years and names are really difficult for me. Uh, you know, and I would concentrate on the person's name because I, I had to have their name because whenever I talked to them, I needed to call them by their first name. Uh, you know, and I would get their first name and that would be it. I'd have to ask them, well, what kind of a car are you looking for? And they're like, I just told you. 
Oh, you know, it's like, wah, 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 wah. Oh, you know, now we have issues with that because a lot of times we struggle with it because if the person sitting right next to us or standing right in front of us only hears a part of what we say, then how in the world or why in the world would we think that God would actually listen to all the things that we have to say? But then we also have to think about is uh, why does God ever think that we would even listen to all the things he has to say? We don't listen to the people that's right here next to us. But we find that you know, our prayers, they do have power. They really do. Uh, you know, in James chapter 5, Verse 15, oops, I did something wrong, wait a minute, I got to go here first, no I don't either, go here, all right, I'll get it there. It says, the earnest prayers of the righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Does that sound like your prayers? Huh? Sometimes, sometimes they sound like it. Uh, you know, so let's look at you know, some of the other translations, uh, you know, on this here. Uh, you know, will actually tell us, it kind of goes in and, uh, you know, and it says that earnest prayer or the prayer, the earnest prayers of righteous people, uh, you know, have great power and produce wonderful results. Uh, the NASB says the effective prayers of righteous men can accomplish much or you have in the new king james uh, you know version says that the effective fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much so there's a lot that we have here so what do we consider as a righteous man would you consider yourself being righteous after all, and be careful with that one, because Paul tells us that none are righteous, all have fallen short. But the passage of Scripture says that the prayers of a righteous man prevaileth much, or the prayers of an earnest man, uh, you know, has you know has wonderful results. So what is it? If we go to Matthew chapter five we will find out what the qualities or what the standards of a righteous man is. Uh, you know, a righteous man, uh, you know, we find, and I'm going to let y'all read that today, okay, or sometime this week to see what a righteous man is. But, uh, you know, this is the Beatitudes, and it's not that Jesus is talking about individual people, but he is talking about characteristics that we all should, uh, you know, have. Uh, you know, it's not that he's talking about one person that is blessed because he, uh, you know, takes care of the poor. But if you, uh, you know, so those are the, the things that you have that's there. But what I want us to look at, uh, you know, is that in verse 17 of James chapter 5 there, in verse 17... I did not put that there. In verse 17, it tells us that Elijah, 
is just a common man. He's just like we are. But wait a minute. Elijah's a prophet from the Old Testament, right? How can Elijah, how can James say that Elijah is a man just like we are? We are all royal priests. All that have received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we are all part of the royal priesthood. Uh, we are a child of God. We're, we're not someone that is just ordinary. There is something special about us because we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So there is something that is special about Elijah and there's something that is special about us. In 1 Kings chapter 7, or I'm sorry, it's chapter 17, Elijah comes onto the scene. There has not been, nothing has been written or said about Elijah until 1 Kings chapter 17. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, we find, we find these words. It says, now Elijah, who was from Tishba in Galilee, told King Ahab, as sure as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Wait a minute. The first thing that Elijah does is confront one of the worst kings in Israel's history. It's been 58 years since King Solomon has died. This is the sixth king that's in the reign after Solomon. And it says that he is the worst of all of them. This is one of those people that we would look at and kind of think about today as one of those power couples. Uh, you know, because you have the king of Israel, and then you have Queen Jezebel that come together, and they begin to control things because they are in power. Now, the Israelites, what's happened is, is, is that they are no longer a country that worships Yahweh. They are a country that worships Baal, or a nation that worships Baal. Well, they also worship Asherah as well, which is the lover or the, uh, you know, the mate. Asherah is the mate of Baal. Uh, and it's really weird on this, you know, on these gods. We, we look at this, uh, you know, and Baal is the god of elements or the god of fertility. Uh, you know, but yet he dies every year and then he comes back to life and he brings rain and he fertilizes the ground so that they have crops. And then he goes and he has relations with Asherah so that the people can flourish and they can have children. Isn't that really weird? Uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, to me, I'm like, how in the world can you do, you know, the God dies and then he comes back. Uh, you know, so in other words, in fall he dies and then in winter he comes back to life. Uh, you know, and the rains come and he fertilizes things. Well, look in the world, what in the world does Elijah do? 
Elijah comes and he says, okay, you are now a nation that worships Baal, which is the god of fertility, or you know, the, the god of elements, or the god of fertility. Uh, you know, so your crops aren't going to grow because although he's the god of rain that makes rain, uh, you know, he's not going to make any rain. There will not be rain for a long time. So you see what Elijah does? He puts King Ahab on notice and he says, your God really isn't a God because the God of all, God, the one that created all things, he is not going to allow dew nor rain to fall on this earth for a long time. And then we find here that in 17, we follow Elijah's life and we see that God told Elijah to go and live by this stream and that he was going to be fed by the ravens. So Elijah goes and he lives by the stream and he's fed by the ravens just as God had said. And the drought was so severe and so strong that the stream dried up. And then God sent him to this widow in the town to tell him that this widow would then provide for him for the rest of this time. And then you, all of a sudden you turn around and in chapter 18, Elijah shows back up again. And here we go through this and it's awesome what Elijah does. You know, you see in your walk through this, Elijah then comes back on the scene and he meets Obadiah. Now, Obadiah is the king's, uh, you know, overseer. So, in other words, he is the one that is in charge of all of the things that goes on in the kingdom. You remember Joseph was that, right? Uh, you know, for Pharaoh. So, then you have Obadiah that's here. Uh, you know, Obadiah has done what? Uh, it, scripture tells us that Obadiah is a devout follower of God he is so devout that he has hidden a hundred of God's prophets in two caves put 50 in this one and 50 in this one and not only did he hide them but he was feeding them from the king's palace so I see y'all don't think that's really awesome either do you and that is, you know, that is just the coolest thing because, uh, you know, here, uh, you know, Ahab, uh, you know, and Jezebel are searching the kingdom and searching all the places for the prophets of God and trying to kill them all. Uh, you know, it's, the scripture goes in and tells us that he searched and searched, uh, you know, for Elijah. And the kings would say that Elijah's here. And whenever he would get there, Elijah was no longer there. God would move Elijah. You know, so you know, here we are. That he, one of his people that's in charge of his stuff, has a hundred prophets hidden. Wow. Are we asleep this morning? You know, because God's at work. You know, God is setting this up, and He's setting it up for us. Because whenever we see here, Elijah comes on and Elijah meets Obadiah as they have split the kingdom in two and they're searching for enough grass so that the king would possibly be able to save some of his horses and mules. I mean, that is a bad famine. We're going to go out because we need to find some grass so our horses will live. If not, we're going to have to kill them. You know, so they've divided up and Elijah stands there and Elijah meets Obadiah. And he tells Obadiah, go and get Ahab and tell him that I'm going to meet him today. Poor Obadiah. 
he begins to complain. He says, oh my goodness, why are you trying to get me killed? He said, why are you wanting me to go and tell him that you're here? Because whenever I bring him back here, I know you're not going to be here, just like all those other times, because God's protecting you, and he's going to take you somewhere else, and he's going to kill me because I lied to him. Elijah says, no, today I will see him. Today I'll see. And whenever King Ahab shows up, how many times have we ever done this? See what you've caused? He said, Elijah, see the problems that you have caused for the people of Israel? Right? Uh, you know, we do it. See what you have caused. And Elijah goes, no, I didn't cause this. You caused this because you have turned against God. It's your fault that this has happened, not mine. And then we know this. You know, he goes in and he calls the prophets of Baal and Asherah. The scripture says Baal and Asherah to a duel. He wants all 450 priests of Baal and all 400 priests of Asherah to come to Mount Carmel and we're going to duel it out. We don't know what happened to the priests of Asherah. They don't show up. Only the ones of Baal. They show up. And he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to get two bulls and we're going to have two altars. You get a bull and I'll get a bull. Uh, you know, and then what we're going to do is, is that you pray to your God, and I'm going to pray to the God, uh, you know, and we're going to ask the God to come down in fire and consume the offering. We all know this passage of Scripture, right? This is really cool. It's a great passage of Scripture because God shows up in a mighty way, but we have to understand what all happens for God to show up. You know, so we see this. Okay, so the prophets are up there, and they're, they're doing their chants and kind of dancing around. I'm not going to dance around for you. Uh, you know, they're dancing around, you know, and they're calling out to their God, and they, they do this from early in the morning and, they, and all the way until noontime, and nothing's happened. Uh, you know, so then, uh, you know, Elijah goes over there, and he kind of starts taunting them. How many of you have ever taunted one of your, uh, you know, opponents? Have you ever done that? Uh, you know, taught him, oh, man, really? Uh, you know, if he really is a God, uh, you know, maybe he's gone on vacation and he just doesn't hear you. Pray out some more. Call out some more. Uh, you know, the new, the NIV, or the, not the NIV, but the NLT, the NLT says that maybe he's gone to the bathroom. He's busy doing something. You're not that important for him. By the way, you're only 400 people. He's not going to come and answer 400 people's prayer, right? Uh, you know, so he's, you know, he's kind of taunting them along. And, uh, you know, they go on and then they continue on into their service. Uh, and they begin cutting themselves. Uh, you know, and, and it's really kind of weird because they would literally cut themselves to where their blood would squirt, and it would squirt out onto the offering, uh, you, know, for, you know, hoping that he would come and take the offering because now they've poured out their blood on it. And, of course, we know that it doesn't happen. Nothing happens. So finally, Elijah says, okay, guys, and I'll paraphrase it for you. Okay, guys, enough's enough. Come on over here. Uh, you know, come on, come on over, over here to, you know, to this side, over here. And then we find that Isaiah 
or not Isaiah, but Elijah, says a simple prayer. Uh, you know, I, I want you to realize that Isaiah doesn't ask for fire to come down. He just simply asks God to answer him. But then he says, don't answer for me. He says, answer for the people around me. Answer so that they can see that you are God. That you are the true and the living God. It took two verses in his prayer. And then God came down and consumed the offering. Now, wait a minute. I forgot, okay? Because see, remember, he took three bales or three, three buckets or tubs of water. And for three times, he poured over the top of it. And it consumed the altar. It consumed the offering. It consumed the 12 rocks that he had placed there for the uh, tribes of Israel. It consumed the soil. Wow! It consumed the ground that was underneath the altar. And then it consumed the water that was there. It's not that he was trying to be overbunctious or, uh, you know, wanted to send. Well, no, he did want to send a signal. And the signal is, is that he is the one and true and only God. And his power is sufficient to do all things as long as we call out upon his name. But I want you to grab something here. Okay? Because it's not the one that is praying. You know, see, we read this passage of Scripture and we question our prayers we question us uh, you know it's not the ones that do the praying look at the you know look at the priest of Baal they prayed it's not the one that's praying but it's the one that's listening to the prayer that holds the power it's not the prayer that we give but it's who we're praying to that has the power and if we trust in his power then his power will come on this earth if we trust in God alone it's not us it has nothing to do with me but it has everything to do with my trust in who I am praying to. Who has everything to do with him? But see, Elijah does show us something in here. And I want us to look at these. There, there are some little things that's in your bulletin for you. Elijah shows us that one good part or one part of the prayer, okay, is that we stay in the presence of God. We have to stay in the presence of God. Uh, you know, whenever we're in the presence of God and we're listening to God and we're communing with God, uh, you know, then we know God's will. And it's not a guess as far as am I praying what God really wants Am I praying for a result or for something that God would really want to happen? If we're always, if we're in His presence, then we know what that is. But the thing is there also is that we have to trust that God acts on all of His promises. God is a God that pro of promises. He is a God that cannot lie. And every promise that He has promised to each and every one of us in Scripture, it will come about. 
If we pray the promises of God, He will act as long as we trust that He'll do what He says that He'll do. In our prayers, we also have to ask persistently. We have to ask persistently. We find that Elijah, after this great uh, you know, battle here at the altar, and after God shows up and burns up the altar, we find that Elijah uh, you know, sends Ahab and tells Ahab, you need to go ahead and go home and go ahead and eat uh, you know, because there's going to be a storm that's coming. So he sends Ahab home, and then he goes up to the, mount, to the top of Mount Carmel. And at the Mount of Top Carmel, he calls out and he prays out to God and he asks God for rain. And he sends his servant and he tells his servant, he said, Go and look towards the sea and tell me what you see. For seven times or six times, he comes back and he says, I don't see anything. On the seventh time, Elijah prays again and sends him back. And whenever he sent him back, he comes back and he says, oh, he says, I see a cloud off in the distance about the size of a man's hand. He said, you need to run and tell King Ahab he's got to get in his chariot now or the storm's going to stop him from getting back to the palace. You need to go because Elijah knew that God was sending the rain because he knew the God that was listening to him was the God that had the power to perform and to give the rain that he was praying for. We need to go ahead and claim it because we know the power in the one that we're praying to. It's not me. Jesus Christ is the righteous one. That we're praying through. It's not in the power. It's not in us. But there's one last thing here. You you got another space that's there, right? It's got a Y on there, right? I had to stretch for this one here. But yearn. We have to yearn for God's glory. See, it's not our glory. It's God's glory. Elijah didn't pray for this so that he could get the glory. Elijah prayed for this so that they would be able to see that God was the true God. And whenever the fire fell and everything happened and the altar was taken up, what did they say? Oh, Lord God Almighty. (laughs) It wasn't a question. They said it twice. They bowed low and they said, Lord God Almighty. Lord God Almighty. They knew because God showed up. Because God showed up. Man. Elijah is a man just like you and I. A man that is called by God. That is a child of God. He listens whenever we call out to him. We have to trust that he will do what he said that he'll do. You will have the opportunity in just a second to watch a video of a young lady that is telling you today that because of prayers, she now stands before you as a child of God.
Well, my first and last name is Samantha Monberg. Um, and I am sharing my testimony today. Um, some of it's a little hard for me to talk about because it's like a spiritual unpacking. Um, I was saved at a very young age, uh, before I reached double digits. I, I don't even remember how old I was. Um, and being that I got saved at such a young age, I believed that being saved meant you never had to endure any hardships in life. Um, no one ever really talked about the fact that um, life still happens after you become saved. Um, at, at least they don't really talk about that so much with kids. Um, and so I began having my faith tested at a very young age. Um, I remember when I was six or seven, my mother was about seven months pregnant and she lost the baby. And <clears throat> after she lost the baby, our, our lives were kind of flipped upside down. Um, they had already decorated the nursery and everything and then the baby just died without warning. Um, I remember watching as my mother and father buried their child and it's one of the most traumatic memories that I have because I remember watching my parents who I had always looked up to so much um, just kind of breaking completely apart and I remember being very angry um, in retrospect I think it's completely accurate to say that i blamed God for the situation, um, but I didn't understand that at the time. All I knew is that I was really angry, and then about a year later, it happened again. Um, and that was the first time I ever remember really questioning why God allowed bad things to happen to good people. And as I grew older, more and more things continued to happen that I couldn't wrap my head around. Um, I've, I've been a victim of sexual abuse several times throughout the course of my life and um, that made me really angry with God. Um, because I, I didn't understand. Um, and um, this resulted, this lack of understanding resulted in me doing every possible thing I could to run as far away from God as I could possibly get. Um, one of my biggest acts of rebellion was marrying the wrong man at a very young age and I remember very distinctly I remember very distinctly God making it very clear in the hours leading up to my wedding that I was not supposed to be marrying this man and I did it anyway because I wanted to um, I wanted to run uh, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to run away from being told what to do. Um, I wanted to run from authority and I didn't want to have to listen anymore. 
Um, I moved a really long distance away from my family when I got married. And um, I quickly found out that the man I married was an abusive cheater. And like a child, I blamed God for that too, even though he tried to warn me before I got married. Um, the realization that I was in the wrong place with the wrong man drove me to drink a lot of alcohol. Um, I became an alcoholic drinking every single day of the week. And um, I blamed God for that too. Um, the alcoholism drove me into a really, really dark place of depression. I spent a lot of time alone. Um, mostly my life was just drink, sleep, eat, repeat. Um, when my ex-husband and I split, it got worse. Um, I moved back home to be with my parents, but I still felt really alone and like I was failing. Um, I felt like I was failing my daughter. My marriage had failed. I had dropped out of college to be with this man and everything dream that I ever had had just gone down the drain. Um, I lost my husband to an affair with a woman that I thought was my best friend and um, I was starting back at square one and so I decided to fill that void with booze and men and work. Um, it was a really toxic cycle because the alcohol led to poor choices which resulted in me um, being raped twice and being sexually assaulted a number of times um, and then to add more weight to what I was already feeling because I was very stubborn and unyielding um, I never learned all the lessons that God was trying to teach me in the failure of my marriage and so I had to repeat it with a second relationship um, and that just made the weight of everything I was already dealing with double. Um, in June of last year, uh, I kind of just, I just threw my hands up and, and I, I quit my relationship and I quit everything that was familiar to me aside from my family and my job. I moved back in with my parents and I remember after several months of being in their house and being very depressed that I just sobbed in my bed one night and I told God that I couldn't do my life like it was anymore that I was hurting too much and I was too sad and I felt like I was failing my family and failing my kids uh, I was in a really a really bad place and I just told God that I was going to give him all of my stuff and that I didn't want it anymore. And I kept praying until I passed out. And I just kept saying, take it from me, take it from me, take it from me until I fell asleep. Um... My life after that changed. 
but one by one I started to realize that all of the things that I had looked at as weighing me down and dragging me down weren't actually that. It was almost like God took them and flipped them around so that I could see the other side of them. And he started to point out the different ways that through all of this stuff he had been there the whole time. Um, the, the event in my early childhood with my sister's passing that really was at the core of me straying from my relationship with God, he showed me that through that event, I was able to grow a really great relationship with my sister, and I was also able to see that being a Christian doesn't save you from life, it saves you from death. Um, through my failed marriage, I was able to learn patience and persistence and a lot of forgiveness. Um, the various abuses that I had suffered at the hands of men um, taught me that the men of this world don't love you, but God does. And that's something that has stuck with me. Um, I was also taught that alcohol doesn't save you or make you feel better. Um, that doesn't fill any voids. Um, and, and something else that I learned too through all of this is that we oftentimes ask God to take things from us that we're not willing to let go of. And it, it, in my example, it was a lot of emotional pain. That was a wonderful testimony from Samantha. Uh, Samantha is coming this morning. As you have heard her testimony and the things that God has helped her and brought her through, and her life is changed. It's not the way that it was. She is a new creature in Christ because of what he has done. For the forgiveness that he has given to her, the mercy that he has poured out upon her life. And today I ask her, I say, you know, Samantha, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I do. Will you obey God's holy will? And keep his commandments, walking in them for the rest of the days of your life? I will. I will. Today, I, it's privileged for me to baptize or rebaptize Samantha Weinberg. In the name of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Rise to walk in the newness of life. I'm going to ask our children's director, Ashley, if she could come in.
Ashley is here because she is, uh, you know, our next one that's going to be baptized. Uh, Mariah, Mary, no, Marie Ruiz. At Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene, it's not only that we want to get them saved, but we also want to help them to teach them to walk in the life of Christ. So that's why Ashley is here, and Ashley's going to ask her these questions. Mariah, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and do you realize that he saves you now? Will you obey God's holy will and keep his commandments, walking in them all the days of your life? Amen. She said, I will to both of them, so I baptize. I baptize Maria in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Rise to walk in the newness of life. So as we close... There will be a, another uh, you know, testimony of a young lady that was not able to make it today. We started off this service with a uh, distinguished service award to Glenda and Jimmy. And there's a section in this that specifically talks about their life and what they mean to this young lady. And it's what we strive to do that we are able to be the witness for someone else to receive Christ as their Savior. Enjoy this video. My name is Courtney Williams and I'm 24 years old and this is my testimony. Um, at a young age, I was raised in this church, um, so a lot of you know who I am, um, or you think you know who I am, <laughs> um, but I was raised in this church with both of my parents um, and my brother. Uh, we went here for a while, and then my parents split up um, when me and my brother were younger, I think elementary school, um, and a lot of you knew that and knew why. Um, a lot of, uh, when my parents split up, I didn't really see my dad too much, and I lived with my mom, and I kind of figured out why, you know, my parents got a divorce, and that kind of set me on a track of why were some Christians, you know, I, I thought Christians were supposed to be these perfect people that you know, always went to church and had this great, perfect life because when you're a child and you're going to church, that's what you're, I mean, you're taught about, uh, you know, Noah's Ark and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and stuff like that and they all these things, but you're not really taught, you know, what a Christian is and what, you know, how, you know, this is hard. Um, so my parents got divorced and I became angry with my father. I was angry at life. I didn't want to, you know, I was rebellious and bad. 
But I did start going to church again at Emmanuel First Church of the Nazarene where um, Rick Morris, my great uncle, was um, the pastor at. Uh, I was very much involved there in the youth group, and I would go to TNT. I, you know, would compete there. Uh, I did a lot of things, and I was very happy. Um, a lot of times I did go by myself. Uh, my, neither of my parents went, um, or my mom would come every once in a while, but uh, mostly it was just me. My brother didn't even go. Um, but I loved it, and I enjoyed it a lot. Well, and by the way, when I was going to that church, I did get, you know, I was baptized before in, in a pool at my Uncle Rick's house. Um, and, you know, I you know, thought what I thought at the time was saved. You know, what I thought was being a Christian. But I really wasn't. Because at that age, you really still don't know or you aren't. I mean, it's very hard at that age thinking that you're you're a Christian because be, even being a Christian as an adult is very hard. Um, so I rebelled. You know, I got older and stepped away from all of that, and I rebelled a lot. I had, you know, I was. My mom found somebody else. She married my stepdad now, and uh, I'm thankful for him. He is awesome and wonderful. But I still rebelled. I was bad. I would uh, be out all night long. I would drink and get so drunk that I didn't know where I was. And uh, I was just terrible. Just a terrible, terrible teenager. Um, I was doing things that teenagers shouldn't be doing. Probably not even adults should have been doing. But um, And I strayed away from God. Completely strayed away from God. I knew what I thought who God was, and I believed in God, but I wasn't doing the things that I should have been doing. Um, so, as time went on, you know, I eventually met my husband and got pregnant with uh, our first daughter, McKinley, and I really think that that was a saving grace for me. I really think that God put this sweet little baby um gave at the time i didn't realize it but now that i do you know the sweet little baby god gave me was mckinley and i feel like if it wasn't a lot for you know her i would have still been you know doing all the terrible things that i was doing and uh so you know even still then i was still wasn't perfect and i wasn't going to church still and I mean, McKinley was a little older. She was probably about, you know, three. Was she about three when we started coming? Um, I was pregnant with Emerson. It's when we, you know, really started coming. And thank you, Nana, for always, always inviting us and always praying for us to come. Because I really think that if it wasn't for you pushing us and, you know, asking us, that, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have really, you know, came and got involved. You, I mean, you really have impacted a lot of us, um, you know, by that. So, thank you, and we love you. But, um, so, we started coming, and for a little bit, you know, I came, I was coming a solid time for a while, and then 
for a little bit I did fall off and I, I didn't come for a little bit and I think it was like right when Pastor and Peggy, Pastor John and Peggy was here and I wasn't here for a little bit and then because I had fallen off and uh, but thankfully God got, God got me back on track and uh, I still don't think I was fully where I needed to be. Uh, I started the praise and, I started being in praise and worship and at the time it was just uh, like me and another person so it wasn't you know and uh, I still wasn't where I still don't think you know I am closer to God now than I ever have been but still I then I wasn't even though I was living it or thought I was or showing what seemed like was this I was being such a great Christian I still was having troubles at home with my husband we weren't you know we weren't getting along we were just it was just not good our marriage was terrible um, this so it's been a almost well yeah it's been a year now uh, when my husband finally just threw his hands up and left um, that was the hardest thing that I've ever had to deal with. Um, uh, my husband left and, um, it was terrible. Me and my daughters were, we were on our own for a while. Well, you know, physically we was just us three and, um, that's when I knew that I had to change. That's when I knew that. I needed God more than ever. I, you know, I needed to change my life and my ways and the things that I were doing. Because God was showing me, you know, if you can't obey me and if you, you know, aren't going to live right and if you're going to go to church and still come home and act this way, I'm going to show you, you know, I'm going to take things from you. Because God really truly does give and take away. And I honestly believe that, especially after, you know, my experience and everything that I had gone through. You know, people say, oh, God only gives people uh, what they can handle. And that's not true because God gives you things that he knows you can't handle. So you need him. And uh, that's what happened. I, you know, I needed him and I was leaning on God. and But I was still trying to uh, fix it myself. But, you know... Finally, I had to give it to him. I laid it down, and I told God, I was like, please, God, this is yours. This isn't mine. I can't live like this. You know, please give me my husband back and, you know, change me, change my heart, you know. And thank God that he did. And I, you know, I'm so forever thankful and blessed. Um for what he has done for me and he is still blessing me to this day I mean even like the little things God blesses us with and blesses me with and I'm just so thankful for that and I am I can never I'm very happy at where I am in my life right now and I've never been happier and um, and I know my testimony is not done I mean I still have a lot a life to live um, and so, and God's not done working on me.
So as we look at the lives in this, these testimonies in this baptism service today, you know, Jesus isn't done with any of those lives. Jesus is not done with your life, wherever you are. He's still here for you, regardless of what's happened, regardless of what you've been through, regardless of the hurt and the pain. He's there. But we still have to obey and we have to ask for that forgiveness and and realize who He really is and truly is. We have to trust in Him. There's people just like Elijah in this building that's been praying for each and every one of you. There's power in the prayers. We trust that God will answer and do the promises that He has promised to us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You so much for today and for this service. I thank You, dear Lord, for this opportunity that we have had to celebrate the work that people, you know, that this couple, this great couple, has has done for You, and and God, not to worship them, but to thank You for what You have done in their lives. But God, we also so thank You for the lives that You have changed, dear Lord, in the baptisms. And God, for the many, many lives that are here, dear Lord, that you are still wanting and working and changing right now. As Courtney said, her testimony is not done because you are still at work in her life. And we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.